Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Stay standing as we read God's word together this morning from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we invite you to to take a Bible from the seat in front of you. Um, The the text that we're reading today is on page 811. Um, And again, our text is Matthew 6, 5 through 15. Hello. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have, been, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, And we pray this morning that you would help us to understand Um, Help us to um, obey you. Um, Help us to um, see that your ways are are good. And so, Lord, we pray again, you would help us to understand these things that your son, Jesus, teaches here. We pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. You may have a seat. So we we come today uh, in our series in Matthew uh, to, to what is perhaps... The, the most familiar and recognized passage of Scripture in the world today. So you watch a movie um, from anything about war to sports, and this prayer frequently appears, right? Um, you know, the, the Friday Night Lights movies, you got the coach in the locker room leading his prayers to the Lord's Prayer, um, and they have no idea what it means, but they're praying it. Um, and uh, the war movies that you have, um, You've got soldiers on the battlefield in their most desperate moment of life approaching God in prayer. But what we're going to do, originally planned for two weeks, we're going to take three, maybe weeks, to walk through this passage, 6, 5 through 15. So we're going to take three weeks and walk through the Lord's Prayer together, and we're going to seek to understand and to explore what Jesus is teaching here. Um, and, and along with that, a, a, along with what we will do over these next three weeks, is we will also explore a little bit um, how the people of God, the church, the family of God, have historically understood and put into pray, uh, practice prayer. 
Um, and so there's a, a lot of uh, a ways that the church has understood what Jesus is teaching here and what the Bible continues to teach about prayer. Now, now something that I'm keenly aware of in this room um, as, as one who has the opportunity to preach uh, most weeks is that, is that this pulpit is something that could be very easy to hide behind. Um, and in fact, I have seen and I have heard of preachers and, and I mean, I, I, if, if we're gonna kind of cultivate this culture of transparency and authenticity here, I have been guilty myself um, of, of allowing this place, this position in, in the church to cover up deficiencies um, in us, um, whether, that be, whether that be immorality, and like I said, I'm not, that's not something I'm covering up. I've seen preachers cover things like that from a place like this. So whether that be deficiencies, immorality, whether that be insecurity or, or hypocrisy. And so in light of this, in light of this, as we venture into Jesus' teaching on prayer, I wanna just state right up front that if hearing and listening to sermons about, about prayer makes you feel like a failure, then, then studying for and preaching on prayer makes you feel like a hypocrite. <laughs> and so you're not alone in this room if what you hear, the teachings of Jesus, if it kind of sits heavy on you. Now, I don't believe that's how we should walk away, um, but I do want to come before you today with a level of transparency and honesty. We get to, we get to like jump right in to prayer. Um, and then, and then the, week at, the, the, the weeks after that, we're gonna talk about fasting. And um, so, but I'm coming to you before you today with a, with a level of transparency and honesty uh, and, and, to, and to confess that I am not one who has this all figured out. I'm not one who practices this perfectly. I'm not settled or pleased with my own prayer life. Can I just admit that? I'm not, I'm not pleased with, with where I'm at in my prayer life. And so this is, it's kind of heavy, but this is, this is uh, both one of the burdens and the joys of being one who is called to preach God's word um, is that you are, you are constantly forced uh, to have to face God's word and preach on truths that you yourself haven't fully lived up to. And so that's kind of where we're at today, that, that, that I have the opportunity to, to help us understand what Jesus is teaching, but I've had to kind of push myself to the word of God and be faced with the word of God and acknowledge that, hey, I'm not quite living up to this myself. Um, and so that's really important. And it's important to know that if anyone, we, you know, we have a lot of people preaching here, right? Like that's kind of one of, our, one of our things. We don't want just one guy. We want multiple people. And we want more people to kind of raise up and, and, and preach God's word. But, but let me just state right now that if anyone ever preaches from here and sets a bar that, that we have lived up to ourselves, then we aren't preaching high enough, um, and so no matter who preaches here, whether it's Jordan or Kevin or Thomas or myself um, or whoever that may be, that if we ever set a bar that we've lived up to, then we, we aren't preaching high enough. And we probably aren't preaching the gospel very clearly because we need the gospel here. And so that's just a little bit of like, you know, like the infomercials give you all the, the kind of the, 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 the caveats at the end. I'm giving you the caveats at the front, okay? Um, so we're giving you the caveats at the front. And, and here's the good news about what I've just told you. Some of the good news about what I've just said that, we're, that I'm gonna try and reinforce over and over and over again is that where gaps do exist uh, between what we preach and what we live up to, as they do for me while preaching on prayer, man, it's an opportunity for us to, to praise God that Jesus Christ has filled that gap for us through his righteousness, right? 
Amen? That, that where that gap exists between who we should be and who we really are, man, we've got great hope in Jesus. And so we're just gonna preach that out of the gate. We stand on the shoulders and the solid rock of a prayerful Jesus. Jesus is a, uh, I think the Western name for it is like prayer warrior. I don't know if that's historical, um, but Jesus is a prayer warrior, right? I mean, we all know prayer warriors. Jesus, we stand on the shoulders and solid rock of a prayerful Jesus who has invited us and who here graciously teaches and exemplifies for us how, how we are to approach our heavenly father. Man, that's super cool, isn't it? That like we have a God who's like, hey, this is what you should, you know, this is what you're called to do. And then he doesn't just leave us to figure it out. No, he calls us into a way of life He has sent his son and his son has exemplified and taught us, hey, that's a gracious God. That's that's an example of a gracious God. And so let's let's pray and let's thank God for for that fact. Father, we thank you for what is ours in Christ, what belongs to us, what we have inherited, not because because we were good or noble or uh, more, more worthy than the rest, but Lord, but because you in your grace Uh, And you, in your goodness, set your love and your affection on us. And so I pray that we would sense the overwhelming truth of that this morning. That, Lord, while this would be so easy to to be crushed under, um, would you just teach us um, as we we follow our shepherd, Jesus, uh, and what it looks like to pray and to, to live in communion and fellowship with the Father. Uh, We thank you for these things, and we pray it in your son's name. Amen. So, as I've as I've began preparing for this, one of the things that that I've I've studied and kind of seen, and and what I think I can probably assume of most people in here, based on other stories that I'm hearing, is that every single person in this room has some kind of experience with prayer, right? Um, so um, maybe, maybe like you just heard your grandma praying from like when you, were, when you were like a baby, you just remember, man, you remember the way that your grandma prayed, right? Like you remember the way that that, pa- that first pastor that you had prayed or the, the, the deacon in that church or, or that woman of faith in your life in, in some way or, or this person or that person prayed. And it was just like, wow, this person has a direct line to, this person has a direct line to God. By the way, when we pray, we do have a direct line to God. So spoiler alert. But if, in fact, we could, we could leave this place today and the number of folks that we encounter throughout our day and week who have experience with prayer might shock us. I mean, it really, like, people have experience with prayer. And so no matter how devoted, for some, no matter how devoted they are to God, prayer is something that, that is just so familiar. And others have experience with prayer in their lives because of a crisis in their life. Uh, maybe, that's, maybe that's you. Maybe you have faced a crisis and, and you, though you would say, I am not strong in prayer, there was some crisis, some emergency, something in your life that drove you to pray, even, maybe, even though you maybe have never prayed before. Um, in, in fact, um, a few weeks ago, I was watching a news story. Um, they were interviewing this, this man about my age and he was recounting a flight that he had been on the day before that had to make an emergency landing. I was telling some people about this, but it was a, it was a flight from New York City to the UK. He, he left LaGuardia uh, flying to the UK, and so obviously they're over the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and, 
And, and uh, he, he looked up and he saw the plane's captain walking down the aisle. Walking down the aisle. This is a real story. I'll send you the link if you don't believe me. Um, he, he, he looks up and then the captain of the airplane is walking down the aisle, moving people back, looking out the side windows to look at the wings. Um, let, let me just say that if the captain of your flight is ever frantically pacing the aisle, um, you better start praying. And you probably will start praying. You will be a prayer by then. And so the, this, this young man went on to say that, that he even went to the, the restroom in the, I think he was actually on the restroom when the announcement came over, but he filmed a video on his phone of himself telling his wife and daughter that he loved them in case he didn't come back. And, and he was just frantic. And, and let me just tell you, just by the way this guy kind of talked, he, he, was, he was very likely not a person of, of faith. Um, but, he, but he then said, he then, as he shared the story, he then said that on the plane there was a nun and a priest. Sounds like the beginning of a good joke, doesn't it? Um, on this plane, there was a nun and a priest. Um, and all he could, he said this in his interview, all he could think was, hey, if y'all are going to pray, now would be a good time. And so we all encounter, we all come into contact, we all kind of have this something within us that whether it's crisis or whether it's, it's, it's plenty that we're experiencing, that we have this longing to, to speak to our God, the one who created us, one who created us for communion and fellowship with him. And so maybe for some, God, God really did use in a gracious and powerful way an event or a situation that increased your prayer life. And in this way, we're reminded of the goodness of Jesus that even in the midst of, of tragedy and trauma, man, he can bring good from that. And, and the good that many people experience in those rough situations is that you are able to draw near to your creator through prayer. Hey, that's a good thing. There's example after example. Hey, even in the text that we read this morning um, in Romans chapter five for our call to worship, um, I, I think it's something to just kind of revisit real quickly. He, he says, through him, through Christ, we have obtained access by faith into the grace which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we know that even if it's crisis or pain that causes us to draw near to God in prayer, that it is a good and gracious thing that we are able to speak with our heavenly father, that we are able to do that. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones um, is an old, old preacher, um, says beyond, uh, he, Martin Lloyd-Jones calls prayer beyond any question, beyond any question, the highest activity of the human soul. And that man is at his highest and his greatest when upon his knees, he comes face to face with God. That, that, that the way to be brought high is to, is to be brought low on your knees in prayer to our heavenly father. And so let me just say this to us. Remember, it's, I'm not telling you this, I'm saying this to us. That there may be nothing that tells the truth about our walk with Christ more than our prayer life. 
You want to know where you are when in your walk with Christ. Where is your prayer life? Now, I'm not talking about Christian if you are a child of God. Because remember, there's a gap that always exists that Christ has filled with his righteousness. It's not like we fill a little bit and he fills the rest. No, he's filled all of it. But there may be nothing that tells the truth about our walk with Christ more than our prayer life. Everything that we do, we need to to really just kind of lean in. Everything that we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer, isn't it? I mean, would you agree? Everything that we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Giving to the needy, easier than prayer, right? Because you've probably given to prayer, you've you've probably given to the needy maybe more than you've prayed. I know I have. Or going to church. I know I've gone to church more than I've prayed, right? Going to church, what we're doing here, is easier than prayer. Hey, let me just wrap me out. Preaching about prayer is easier than prayer. I promise, I've literally experienced it this week. Preaching about prayer is easier than prayer. Everything that we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. And so for us, ultimately, we discover the real condition of our spiritual life when we examine ourselves in the private place with, when alone with God. When we are alone with God. And so it is not me, it's the scriptures that will continually drive this point home. It's the scriptures that will drive this home. And so I want us to look today at the first few verses of this passage. We're gonna really focus in on verses five through eight. Maybe you're like, how in the world are we gonna get through five through 15? We're not. We're just gonna take the first few verses, verses five through eight, um, and we're gonna highlight something very significantly about prayer that we actually see in Luke's gospel first. So let's go to Luke. This is gonna take so, just not very long at all. Luke 11, Luke chapter 11, verse one. Hey, would someone who's just real brave and boisterous um, read that for us. Luke 11, one. One verse. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. So I've, I've looked at it, I've, I've studied, and, I've, and, and, and it seems that this is one of the very few times, if not the only time, Like I said, don't take my word for it. You've got to go do your work. But I've looked and it seems that this is one of the very few times, if not the only in the ministry of Jesus where the disciples stop and they approach him and ask him to teach them something. Notice, they didn't teach him how to preach. They didn't ask him how to teach him how to preach. They didn't stop and say, teach us us how to heal people. Teach us how to do this. No, the disciples stop in the book of Luke and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Don't miss that. Because as we spend the next three weeks studying prayer, hey, listen, from here, this is our posture as a church, especially over these next three weeks, that God, that the Son of God, Jesus, that the scriptures, that the sufficient, inerrant, authoritative word of God would teach us to pray. Can we just in the same way that these disciples do, come to our Lord and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us what it is that you want for us to know. And so we will see, and we have all experienced, that despite how essential prayer is for us, 
It is something, it is not something that necessarily comes natural. Have you ever known someone who's had to be put on like a breathing machine? I know that probably like hits home with, with some of us, but, but we've all known someone who has needed help breathing. Just because breathing is necessary does not necessarily mean it comes naturally, does it? So like there's, we've had, we've had babies born in this, not like in this church, but you know, to families in our church who've been born early, who need help breathing. Breathing, maybe one of the most natural parts of life does not necessarily come it is, it, is, um, it is essential, but it does not necessarily come natural. And prayer might be the same thing, that we can admit and we can confess in here as limited, fallible people that though prayer we see in the scriptures is vital and necessary for our lives, it doesn't always come naturally, does it? It doesn't. And so quickly today, I want us to look at two things and lay two very important foundations about prayer that we see in verses five through eight. And so the first one, the first one that I'm gonna say is, um, is really a principle. I think it's a principle of prayer because when we talk about prayer, there's a lot of prayer principles, right? There's a lot of aspects to prayer that we're gonna see throughout the scriptures. But this first thing that I'm gonna say understand it as a principle for prayer. And the second thing I'm gonna give you is the, is the foundation for prayer, okay? And we're gonna see that from the text this morning. Would someone just really loud again and clear and boisterous read verses five and six of Matthew six? Not everybody at once. So the first thing on prayer that we see in the text that I believe serves as a principle, maybe we need to give it a little bit more weight than that, but for now we're just gonna call it a principle, is this, prayer is a denunciation of pride. The first thing is this, prayer is a, is a like intentional denunciation of the pride that lives within our hearts. Um, and so in this entire passage of verses five through 15, Jesus is going to give us both the how not and the how to, right? I mean, he, they, you know, he, in, this te- in Matthew five, he says, he, he, he gives us the, the uh, do not do this. And then in verse, verse nine, he says, pray then like this. So us, us like, I, I was telling somebody earlier, like I'm like a guy that like, if you give me a, a, um, like, a, like a demand or something I need to do, I literally need you to write it down on a piece of paper. I need you to tell me every step. So you need me to go order you pizza? Okay, give me the address. Tell me how many we need. Um, tell me exactly what you need on it and how many ranches you want with it, okay? So like write down every little thing. So for those like me in here, this is really good because Jesus literally says, here's not how to do it and here's how to do it. And so he starts with the how not, and he highlights the activity and the hypocrisy of the religious leaders when they pray. And so he, he takes as an example these religious leaders, and, and if you look closely, both of these verses have everything to do with pride and humility in our prayer. The, the way that the religious leaders are praying is a, is a way not birthed from a humble, submissive heart to God. And so 
before we really dive into that, this reminds us of something that we stated a few weeks ago from Martin Luther. And he said, he said this, that righteousness can be as harmful to us as our sin. Righteousness can be just as harmful to us as our sin. And so we think of all the things that we need to avoid, 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 and then when it comes to the good things that God calls us to do, sometimes we don't realize that, hey, man, sometimes there's some danger in even the righteousness that God calls us to, or the obedience, because we begin to feel self-righteous. We begin to feel like we're doing the right thing, yet our hearts are far from him. And so the religious leaders of this day had made such a public display and such a spectacle of their prayers that they obliterated the very nature of what prayer even is. Prayer is no longer was prayer no longer was about their communion with God, which John in his first letter um, in the end of your New Testament talks about the communion that we share with one another and the communion that the apostles shared with God. And so they had obliterated just the very nature of what prayer was supposed to be, communion with God, fellowship with God, and had only become about boosting their own ego. And so Jesus teaches in verse six, look at verse six again, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so Jesus teaches in verse six that our approach to prayer and um, uh, is, but he, he, he affirms for us that our approach to prayer um, is based upon the truth that God is our Father. And we're gonna get to that here in just a minute. And here's what Jesus is not doing that we have to see and we have to understand. Jesus here, like, like I've, I've had conversations this week about prayer. Um, one last night with one of my neighbors. Um, Jesus here is not forbidding communal or public prayer. He's not doing that. In fact, as a church, we need to pray more communally together out loud. He's not forbidding communal prayer. He's not forbidding public prayer. That's not at all what he's saying, neither in the context of this passage nor in the examples and the teaching that he gives elsewhere. He nowhere forbids that. In fact, in Matthew 18, just a few chapters later, Jesus teaches that prayer may be communal. He, he kind of assumes where two or three are gathered in my name in prayer, gather and asking God for what it is that God has promised. So he assumes that there will be, there are both biblical and historical examples of prayer in the church and specific people within the church being known for their ministry of prayer. Does the name Epaphras ring a bell to anybody? I'll give you a pat on the back if you can tell me what book of the Bible we see Epaphras in regards to prayer. I think he's in Acts. That's good. Where else? Where does Paul kind of just give a shout out to his, his boy Epaphras? Colossians. The end of Colossians. You know, you know like the farewell um, on, on all the books that you always skip over because like, oh, it's just a bunch of names. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you don't, you don't read those last few verses because it's like, oh, Paul's just like, it's like the credits. Nobody stays for the credits unless you know there's something after them, right? Um, like on all the, all the Marvel movies. Um, it's like those, those last few verses, man, I love, especially the end of Colossians. Because I, he doesn't say much, and so I don't wanna try to assume a whole lot about Epaphras, but Epaphras is, is a person who is known among the churches that Paul is encouraging and planting. Epaphras is known as a prayer. And so 
What Jesus is saying here about being in the closet doesn't mean that like you never pray out loud and no one knows you're praying. He, he can't mean that because elsewhere we see different and the word of God does not contradict itself. He's teaching us something deeper about prayer that we may miss, but we even see power. So let me just, this is like a whole other sermon for another day, but you know, that's how it goes here, right? Um, you know, over the years, there've been, there've been lots of people in who've come through our church, praise God, who, who feel a calling into the ministry. They wanna serve God. And, and a lot of times when, when we see and think about ministry and serving God, we see what's happening here, right? Like preaching, talking to people, um, getting to, to shepherd people and walk with people through their lives, through their week. And, and, and a couple of times over the years when I've, when I've kind of noticed someone getting a little bit antsy, wanting to be in the ministry, I said like, hey, can I, just, can I just encourage you in one way, at least for this season right now, that maybe, and, and I know it feels like a cop-out, but the Bible will tell us it's not. <laughs> May tell us it's the most important thing. What I, what I often encourage people to do is like, would you be willing to spend a season of life committed to the ministry of prayer in, in the church? And so many people kind of, uh, I don't know. You know, I was kind of thinking about, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, which, which is great. I think God puts that in your heart. But what, I think what Epaphras shows us, I love Epaphras. Epaphras shows us that there were people in the church who were known for prayer, who that was their ministry in the church to build up the body. People would pray. Should we all pray? Yes. But I think that God might even be calling some people to a specific ministry centered upon prayer that would pray for the needs of, of those in the church, those for, that would pray for the needs of those in our world and community, pray for justice, pray for all of those things. And so the hearers would have known and understood really kind of, maybe this is not good enough of a word, but they would have understood maybe the symbolism and the message that Jesus was using when he said, go into your room and shut the door. Again, we hear that and so oftentimes we think, okay, that means that, you know, I've got to do something different with prayer. Well, no, he's, Jesus is, is teaching us what the essence of prayer is. Communion, fellowship with God. And communion and fellowship with God through prayer can be had whether we are alone with God in prayer or whether you are praying in the gathering with other believers. We know that. Again, we see that all throughout the scriptures. Prayer is nothing if not an intentional, voluntary, self-inflicted pursuit of humility. Literally, what prayer is, is like, man, you are walking into a space for a minute where you are just confessing before the Lord that I am not in control, that I am not in control. I can't, but you can. We are never more prideful. Listen to this. And God hates pride. We are never more prideful than when we refuse to pray or believing that we can do things on our own apart from prayer. And that's a... That's not a good place to be. So this is a principle. There's other principles of prayer that we'll explore in the next few weeks. The second thing is this. This is a foundation, I believe, is a foundation for all prayer, okay? We can explore this and study this more out in a few weeks, but it, of the two things that I have to say this morning, um, this, is, this is, serves as the foundation of these two things. And so would someone read out loud verses seven and eight? Mm. 
Somebody say, mmm. <laughs> it's all right, we can do that. So the second thing is this, the foundation. In prayer, the foundation that God gives, Jesus gives us here, in prayer, we have a Father who hears us. That's the foundation of prayer. You wanna know why you should pray? Because your Father hears. Some people say, well, if our Father knows, why should I pray? Let's kind of flip that a little bit. If our Father knows what we need, why would we not pray? Why would we not come to him? And so it is an overarching, comprehensive, biblical truth that God is a God who hears us and sees us. Does anybody know who, who the first person in the Bible who, um, who, who, who uh, affirms that? We're pop quizzing all over the place this morning. I'll give you a hint. Genesis chapter 16. Hagar. Hagar. That God is a God who sees. And this woman, Hagar, had desired to have, to, to bear a child. And God gave her a child. And what does she say in Genesis 16, 13? If you want to go there, you can see it. She says, you are a God of seeing. She affirms and attests to this reality that God is aware, that he hears us, that he sees us, that he knows us. In Exodus chapter 2, one of my favorite passages of scripture, Exodus 2, the people of God are enslaved and they cry out to God in their distress. And guess what? God sees them and he hears them. I'm gonna read this, Exodus 2, 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Man, the foundation for prayer is the reality that we have a father in heaven who hears us. If we don't have a father in heaven who hears us, you ought not to pray. But from the opening pages of scripture, throughout the gospels, throughout the, the letters that Paul writes and John and, and, and all of those, James talks about prayer. Prayer is everywhere in the Bible. We have a God who hears us. So we ought to, we get to pray. And so Jesus is appealing to the fundamental character and the nature of God as he teaches us and gives us confidence in our prayers. So again, who but those who know our need most deeply do we tend to draw closest to? Who, who, who is it in your life, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like on the earth right now, who are those that you tend to draw closest to and the ones that you tend to talk to the most? It's, it's those who know your needs and know who you are, right? Those are, those are the ones that we kind of, kind of feel at home with, right? Like they know what I'm going through. They know what I'm experiencing. There's, there's, some, there's some safety here. There's some comfort here. There's some security here. Those who know me best and know what I'm going through. So this is why even us asking the question, why pray if God knows, like we don't even live that out on earth. Because 
the, the logic of that would then mean, why talk to those who know my stuff the most? Because we do that. But when it comes to God, we tend to kind of ask the question or wonder, if God knows, why should I speak with him? Why should I talk with him? And instead, the, the, the question is, if God knows everything, why would we not draw close to him? That's the way that Jesus seems to frame it. So when he talks about the Jews, he says, you know, Jews are kind of governed by pride. Gentiles are really kind of governed by a lack of faith is what he's saying in, in verses seven and eight. That, that they're, they're, kind of, that they're kind of governed by, by a lack of faith because they just kind of repetitive, you know, repeat things over and over, like maybe just hoping that, you know, we throw some at the wall and it sticks. And Jesus says, God knows what you need. You don't have to be repetitive. You don't have to repeat and hope that God hears you, God does hear you. And so next week, we're going to get a bit more into the specifics and and really the pattern of prayer that God gives us or Jesus gives us here in Matthew 6. But for today, we need to know these two things. Please carry these two things with you. Would you do that? If you need to, write them down on your phone or, or on a piece of paper. Write these two things down. We need to know these two things, that prayer is a denunciation of pride and that when we don't pray, we are in grave danger of pride. And number two, that we have a father who hears us. And so one of these for us to serve as a principle for prayer and the other a comfort in our prayers or a foundation. And so in light of these, three, these two things, I've got three very deep applications for how we ought to respond. Number one is pray. Number two, pray. And number three is pray. If you're wondering what the application for these next three weeks is, that's the application, that we would pray. That's it, that we would pray. And, and Jesus is going to continue to walk with us as weak people through how we ought to pray. But my prayer and my challenge for us is that we would pray, that we would pray, and that we would pray. That's what the application is, that we would pray more individually, Um, that we would pray more as a church and that we would pray more meaningfully as a church, as a church. In fact, something's gonna happen next week that may cause some of you, when you hear what I'm about to tell you, I didn't wanna just pop it on you. Something's gonna happen next week that may give you anxiety all week. And we're gonna spend some pretty considerable amount of time in prayer here. (laughs) Novel idea, right? that the people of God pray together. And maybe you're like, man, I, I can't do that. Well, okay, if, if, it's a, if it's an issue or a concern that you have with scripture and what Jesus is saying, let's continue to walk through that. Because again, Jesus is not saying that we do not pray communally together. He's not saying that. In fact, historically, we kind of mentioned historically the church. Historically, the early church, man, when like they, can't, they were praying together. They were praying big prayers corporately together. There were prayers throughout the church in the early history of the church that they were being prayed for. There are prayer warriors throughout the history of the church that's like, you've got, you've got a guy like John, it's either John Calvin or Martin Luther, one of the great reformers that say, I have so much to do today. I am so busy today that I, that I must spend the first three hours of it in prayer. I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three hours of it in prayer. And so next week, we're going to come together and we're going to practice this some. 
And that's, again, I, it's uncomfortable for me. It's not, it's, not, it's not normal, but may it be that prayer becomes more natural, more familiar to us. We, they don't have to be, again, they don't have to be lofty prayers, but we'll have prayer guides to kind of help walk you through some ways to pray. Again, we wanna pray more individually. We wanna pray more as a church, and we wanna pray more meaningfully as a church. And, and I'm gonna be walking right along in this with you because God knows that this is an area that he is calling me to greater, to greater commitment to. And so we're just gonna ask God to help us in that. Can we do that? Let's, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the things that we are taught in your word, that we would be obedient to these things, that, um, Jesus, that we would see your words as, as really marching orders for the church, the way that the early church saw it, the way that the church throughout history has seen it. They see your words. They see that your words are commands. They, they obey your commands because you are their king. You are our king, Jesus. And so may we pray the way that you have taught us to pray. And Lord, may we be humble as we pray. May we seek what it is that you want for our lives. Um, and may we trust in the firm foundation, in the solid rock of Christ, and, and pray upon the foundation that we have a Father who hears us when we pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for, for really all of the things that your word says about prayer. Even though we just barely scratched the surface this morning. So, Lord, help us to be faithful in this area. We pray these things in your name. Amen.